You're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad and uh, in County Clare uh, there is a location in Currapin and they have the largest selection of and collection of material when it comes to tracing your roots and that I'll say it's in Currapin and if you want to find it on the web to start off www.clareroots.com and Antoinette O'Brien is here with me and she's going to tell us a bit about what she has and the resources available and how somebody goes about if they want to come in and make an appointment do all that kind of stuff how they do it sure Antoinette thanks a million for taking a few minutes because I know you're fierce busy and you have lots of people we are, we are, we are. So, so welcome to the Clare Heritage and Genealogy Centre uh, we're the longest established uh, centre of our type in Ireland right. um, the idea began I suppose w- uh, way back uh, in the late 1970s and um, the thing to remember about records in Ireland is that official recording of births marriages and deaths doesn't begin until 1864 now that's problematic for people who are looking for their ancestors who were born before 1864 um, and so there, because be no, they won't feature on the civil records mm-hmm. and say that they don't begin until 1864 so prior to that time there are what we call the parochial or the parish registers right. now in the Ireland of 150 years ago 200 years ago 250 years ago there were large families um, families numbering 10, 12 or 15 children all home births no babies were born in hospital and coupled with having a large large families in those days there was a very high level of infant mortality so it wasn't unusual for uh, a family to lose two or three children the infants before they reached before they were a week old now the priests were very powerful back in the day and they ruled uh, according to the rules of the church that if a baby died prior to it being baptized or christened that the baby's soul would go straight to limbo and mm-hmm. there it would stay for all eternity and and also, you couldn't um, bury your infant uh, on consecrated ground if the baby wasn't baptized. So the parents were very diligent about getting their children baptized. And so that meant bringing the infant from the family home to the local church, which could be a distance of five or six miles, and getting it christened. And once the baby was christened, and this is where uh, it's, it's interesting in terms of genealogy, and it's important in terms of genealogy, once the baby was christened, the priest then was obliged to record the details on the parochial or the parish register the details of the birth so he will record and I have an example here as you can just see this is a photocopy of a page from an old parochial register now the first thing to note about that there is that it's written in Latin which was the language of the church I'd say 80% of them are written in Latin uh, some are written in Irish which is a spoken language or Gaelic and the few are still are written in, in English so on the baptismal entry typically the information on that will be the, the, the child's name, the father's name, the mother's maiden name, the sponsors of the godparents' names, the address at which the family lived, the amo- and the amount of money the priest charged to perform a ceremony. And all that information is pretty much contained within two lines. So every page of an old baptismal register uh, or parish register will contain up to 20 or 30 birth or baptismal entries. The beauty about the parish registers is that they begin prior to 1864. Some parishes have records going all the way back to 1780, 1790, 1800, uh, but certainly most of them go back 30 to 40, if not 50 years, prior to civil registration. So way back in the late 1970s, we recognised here in Corrifend the importance of the information that lay within those pages. And so with the permission of the church authorities, we brought in 
all of the registers that had survived for every single parish in County Clare. Now County Clare uh, comprises of 47 parishes. The, the country of Ireland, as you know, is 32 counties and the counties are divided into parishes. So there are 47 parishes in County Clare. So we brought in the original registers. There were books that were covered in dust, hadn't been opened for 150 years or more. And it was in the days prior to affordable computerization and digitalization hadn't yet been uh, hadn't, yet, hadn't yet seen the light of day and so we opened those registers and we transcribed the information that lay within those pages so um, simply we when you had said transcribed you meant physically you, took, you sat down pen and, and, pen, 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 and, and pencil, pen and paper uh, and the paper we used was simply index cards right. so every entry we saw be it a birth, a baptism, a marriage or a death, we, trans- we transcribed it onto a card index and we were, we had a group of uh, I suppose 10 trainees at a time doing this, it was in the Ireland, an Ireland of which it was a very high level of youth unemployment back in the early 1980s so painstakingly we, trans- we wrote a card for every entry we saw and after about 15 years of writing cards we ended up with 5 million of them and today that is the information on those cards forms the, the, the foundation of the data which we have here, which is unique to us. Now, over the years, since the late 70s and early 1980s, we have added other layers. So we have the, the civil records, which uh, record birth, marriages and deaths. We have the land and the property records dating back to about 1810. Now, in the Ireland at the time, people didn't own property. We were all tenant. People were tenant farmers. But very fortunately, the land records which survive include the tenants' names as well as the landlords' names. Uh, we have the census records, the burial records, the school records. So we have all of the records that survived for County Clare. Now County Clare had the second highest level of immigration between 1850 and 1880, which was the 30 years after the Great Famine, there left from County Clare just over 120,000 people. The present population of Clare today is less than about, was in around 100,000. So to put that into a current context, it would mean that every single man, woman and child that left County Clare uh, between between 1850 and 1880 uh, would be the same as if every single person that lives in County Clare would leave today plus 20,000 more that's the, that's the enormity of the, of, the, of, the pe- of the people that left mm-hmm. where did they go to? well they went to uh, Canada from Canada they often went, to, or they went to directly down into America or they went directly to the United States and then a lot of our people went to Australia as well um, the one of the largest landholders in County Clare at the time was a fellow called Colonel Wintham. And this is just prior to the famine times. And Colonel Wintham owned an estate of over 100,000 acres of land in County Clare. He was an absentee landlord. And in the 1830s, he looked at his County Clare estate and he saw what was happening. And what was happening was happening all over Ireland. People, families were getting larger all the time. And prior to the, fa- prior to the famine, and the mass immigration which followed, there was subdivision of the property. So a man would have, maybe a farmer, would have 50 acres of rented land, and he might have had five sons. And what happened prior to the famine was that he divided that 50 acres among his five sons, which gave them 10 acres each. 
And then, of course, gradually the potato, they became more and more dependent on the potato. Because the beauty about the potato, in their eyes at the time, was that an acre of potatoes would provide enough food for a family for a year. They never envisaged mm-hmm. that the potato could fail overnight. Mm-hmm. And it failed. And so, the more and more people were putting their dependence on the potato. And, of course, that spelled disaster because, as you know, it, it failed. And a, a million people pretty much died, died of hunger. But coming back to Colonel Wentham, he saw what was happening. The tenant farmers were subdividing their holdings and they weren't making them, it wasn't, they weren't able to pay their rents on time. So he got this idea that if he could amalgamate 20 small holdings into one large one or 50 small holdings into one large one and bring in livestock, he'd make a lot more money. But to do that, he had to get rid of the tenants that were on the property. So here in County Clare, and he was the first one of the landlords in Ireland to do this, he offered his tenants free passage to Canada and to Australia. And the reason he chose Canada and Australia is that Ireland at the time was governed by Great Britain. Canada was governed by, the, by Great Britain mm-hmm. and Australia was governed mm-hmm. by Great Britain and they needed people in those countries mm-hmm. and so he offered his tenants here in County Clare free passage to Australia and to Canada and that was the very beginning of sponsored immigration the people that got housed in and they reckon about 10,000 left in, under that scheme, under Wintem scheme were gone before the famine uh, period mm-hmm. and then of course the whole thing snowballed after the famine and what happened after the famine then is that the property was no longer subdivided from father, from among the five sons, only one son got it, and the rest of the children were forced to emigrate. Right. You mentioned that um, there are 47 parishes, was you mm-hmm. As I understand, a part of Clare is in Galway, the diocese. Did that present, or not all of Clare is. Well, no, actually, Clare, well, no, yeah, that's. that's um, the, the majority the, the well the, 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 the bulk of County Clare is in the diocese of Killaloo right. but the diocese of Killaloo uh, goes all the way from Lupaid and West Clare up to Boring County Offaly right. okay? uh, the northern part of County Clare is in the diocese of Galway right. and there's a tiny bit in the south uh, Cratlow and Clonara uh, maybe 13 are in the diocese of Limerick right. but it's, we don't go by the diocese we no, go no. by the counties well, were you able to get your hand on the Galway records we, we as well? were yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, they're all County Clare records. Yeah. So it was, it, we, we got permission from the Bishop of Galway, yeah. and we got permission from the Bishop of Limerick, and we got permission from the Bishop of Killaloo. Now, when we started writing these cards back in the, as I say, 40 odd years ago, other counties found out about what we were doing, and they, 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 took, they, they began to, if you like, copy what we were doing. And so now, essentially, you have. Uh, a genealogy centre in each of the 32 counties because when people left long ago to go to America or Australia they didn't say where they came from um, in terms of a town or a village they give you County Clare so most people will say they're from County Clare but they won't say where from County Clare or County Limerick or County Kerry right. so it's organised county by county right. so, um, so so coming, so, so we've, we have now gathered all the records that survive for County Clare I suppose we were start, when it was started out, it was founded by a man called Nacy Cleary, who was the local schoolmaster here in the village, and he had a tremendous interest in local history. And, um, and we, we started, I think, by opening up the, the museum up the street there. So what happened was the old Church of Ireland became vacant. Uh, it's a beautiful building. You'll probably see it after, mm-hmm. uh, after our chat here. It was built in 1718 by a first cousin of Queen Mary and Queen Anne. She lived here in Corrifin and um, 
she that it was in use as a place of worship up until the late 1960s. But with the gradual decline in the in the in the Church of Ireland uh, population, it was forced to close its doors, and it became uh, you know. N- not used, and so the Church of Ireland donated the building to the local community to be used for cultural purposes, and so that was opened uh, in 1982 as 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 a, as, a, as a museum, which mm-hmm. tells the story of Ireland before, during, and after the famine. And uh, you know, we w- when we opened our doors, we had people coming from. Uh, as I say, America and Canada and Australia and New Zealand, and their 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 big question was, what were the factors or the or the reasons that compelled my great grandfather or my great grandmother, who was illiterate, who had um, uh, no money or material wealth, to leave Ireland and to seek a new life for themselves in any of those countries? And so the museum answered that question. But another question that was posed then, and that's I suppose what triggered. Uh, uh, us in, in trying to gather the records for County Clare. They wanted to understand the conditions and the circumstances in which their family lived, but they also wanted to understand where exactly their people had come from. So they, they were looking for precise information. And I think, and I've, we've been offering this service, I suppose, now for, for the best part of over several decades, and the, the one common thing we find year after year after year from the people we, that come in is that they're, they're, they want to pay, it's kind of like a spiritual pilgrimage. They want to pay tribute to the memory of the people who came before them. And they want to seek a sense of place or, uh, or a sense of identity. And I suppose they were the two things that were robbed from the immigrants when they left here. Mm-hmm. Because it was tremendous, they were tremendously, and we, we always pay tribute to these, these people uh, who left. And the one certainty was when they left, that they would never come back, and mm-hmm. the majority of them never came back. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's taken three or four generations uh, to pass before the descendants can come back. So it, it, it is a tremendously emotional thing when people come back because they're, they're paying tribute to the memory of their ancestors, and they're also, if you like, trying to reclaim something of their own personal heritage and their, and their own sense of identity. And so it's, it is, as I say, it's, I can liken it to a modern spiritual pilgrimage. It's seeking information on who came before them. So you mentioned that the migration were, and was um, sent to Canada and Australia. Were there particular regions predominantly? In other words, was there an area where that area went east and the other area went west or a large or was it scattered it's scattered from, well I can only speak in County Clare yeah, so it's, 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 there, it's scattered there. it's scattered we do find though when people went to Canada a lot of them went south into the United States right. over a period but of years and we're on this side so was it a case in like that North Clare maybe have ended up oh no they're all over the place all over, all over the place right. all over the place yeah, yeah absolutely right so then now when someone comes back in here so you started out and you put it on index cards you've mm-hmm. since I'm sure managed to digitise those yeah we're we're we're, we're, we are, we're we are in the process of doing that so then um, when someone comes in they can sit down make an appointment yes and uh, normally when you would come someone would sit down in front of you how long would you think a session went for them to kind of get meat on the bones that need to allow themselves an hour two hours three hours all right well, so there's different ways people approach it I mean there's the old fashioned way where they actually come here yes. but a majority I, I would say at over 50% of our clients actually contact us through, uh, on, the on the website the they don't actually come to Ireland at all right. until they get the report so um, 
so the first, the first, the first thing is the people would, would, would we would recommend is that they would write to us, and we are accessible on um, uh, ClareRoots.com, right. uh, and they can write to us uh, and tell us what they're looking for. And if we feel we can help them, then there's a whole um, process involved. At the end of the day, what, what, we, what we produce is a report that, that pretty much, it's difficult to show it on radio, but yeah. it's in bound book format, and it's, it's, it's written in the narrative style, and it tells the story of one's family. So um, it gives information. Uh, for us to help people, they have to have at least some basic information. Right. The basic information we're talking about is they need to have the name of their ancestor, yeah. an idea as to when that person was born, and that person's parents' name. So that's the basic information. Now, some people look surprised when we when we say that they have to have all that information. But that information is available on records in Canada or in America, on death certificates and marriage certificates. So there's a certain amount of preliminary work that people have to come in, have to have before we take on a case. There's no point coming in here to us and saying they're looking, and a lot of people do, yeah. uh, doesn't stop them looking for Murphy's from County Clare. Yeah. You have to have more than that. Right. But if you go back and look at the primary documents in, 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 in your native land, you will find enough information to start the process. So typically you have to have the name of your ancestor, an approximate date of birth, and that person's parents' names. And that's enough for us to start the process. And with, with that limited information, uh, we can produce a report that looks like this here. So the report is written up in the narrative style and it tells the story of the family in terms of when the parents were married in County Clare, where the marriage took place, the actual church he was married in, and there's nothing stopping them going. And I think, again, that's what really people want to do, is they want to retrace the, the, the steps of their ancestors uh, to go to the church in which, I mean, the church right beside us here is St. Bridget's Church. I had a couple in this morning here, and their great-grandparents were married in that church in 1836. Mm. They went out there, and their great-grandfather was baptized in that church in 1837. The original baptismal font is still in that church. And so they went out there, and they stood in the spot where their great-grandfather was baptized in 1837. And it's the, it's the same baptismal font that's there. And they were, to, to be able to bring that circle a full, full to closure again was in a very emotive and that just happened a few hours ago right. so that they were able to stand there and the sure knowledge that their great grandfather along with their great great grandparents stood in that spot nearly 200 years ago and to be able to come back all the way from uh, California and to be able to visit that spot today that was the highlight of their trip here to, 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 to Ireland and so, so, we, so we're, we, we're able to identify where actual places are in terms of where the farm was who the landlord was who the brothers and sisters of the ancestor were now the ancestor the great grandfather the great grandmother would have gone to, obviously to America or to Australia or mm-hmm. wherever but he left behind or she left behind brothers and sisters and the beauty of what we do here is we we, we can tell what happened to the family who stayed because they know, the clients know what happened to the people who went away but what we do then is we bridge the gap between both generations and in fact on Saturday we had a group here uh, actually the woman was from Toronto and she came to us two years ago with very little information she was here on Saturday with a group of 15 people 
all her relatives that she didn't know about that she found through, through the work we had done over the past two years. Now it's not instant. We have these these reports, which are, you can see are quite detailed, mm-hmm. and the, the document the, it's very personalised. It's not mass produced. It can go to 50 or 60 typewritten pages, and on the back then we back it up with copies of all the original documents. So you have death certificates, marriage certificates, census records, maps, etc., etc. In here, so. There's a lot of work involved in, in doing this. Uh, typically, about three weeks to put this together. Right. Um, but what I would say to people out there who are listening, who think they have family from County Clare, send us an email. That's the first step. Tell us what you know. Oh, we'll know then whether that's enough. If it's not enough, we'll recommend how you get enough information. So it's not an instant process. You, 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 what you're doing really is you're tracing somebody who left these shores maybe 200 years ago mm-hmm. or 150 years ago and so it, it, the whole journey can take maybe up to a year or a year and a half mm-hmm. but the results are tremendous at the end of it because what you do is it gives you brings you back to where your people came from and I, I, as I say a few months ago I had a case where we found the family homestead uh, which was sited just south of the Cliffs of Moher in a little village called Escanor and the original home was still there and the group that came back were came from Australia and they went up there, it was in the middle of the summer and they were in the, in the house, in the front room and the, the door was opened and they were looking out at the sunset over the Scanner Bay and they remarked, and I thought it was very true that, that, that their great-grandfather and their great-grandmother would have seen the exact same sunset 170 years prior to that. And so that, again, for them was the highlight of their visit. So the first step, I would say, if, if, if you, any of your listeners have family from County Clare, is to send us an email, tell us what they know, and then we can, we can begin the journey from there. And to mention that you get your hands in church records, what would you think is the earliest records? you have or oh well they vary there's 47 parishes in County Clare uh, in terms of the Church of Ireland parochial registers or the Protestant registers right. they go back to I think the earliest set is about 1645 okay. uh, in terms of Catholic records for Clare about 1790 and then what about civil records in the form of newspapers and photographs or stuff like that yeah we have we have a lot of that as well we, we have yeah. civil records which record births marriages and deaths from 1864 right. onwards also what we have here is over, oh, since we opened our doors here in 1982 we have uh, compiled I'd say over 50,000 reports so unknown to ourselves we've actually gathered a lot of other information so people submit their information here and that can be helpful as we produce reports going into the future right. because we have existing files so for instance you might find uh, 20 years ago somebody inquired about a family who went to Australia and then a mother member might have gone to America and so we, because we have the data here from both files we can marry them together right. so we have gathered a lot of other information kind of accidentally over the years as well Indeed. Yeah. so we have, the new, we have the newspaper records of births, marriages and deaths right. we have the census records we have all the gravestone inscriptions in County Clare so we went out many years ago and where it was possible we transcribed the information on the headstones and even if you go out nowadays, a lot of information has, 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 has disappeared in the intervening period because of the erosion. Of the erosion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we have gravestone inscriptions as well. 
Antoinette. And we come right up to the present day in terms of, you know, uh, determining who's living in that property today. Right. And we have maps here, which, again, this is in, in terms of a successful report. We can actually mark on the current satellite image where the family holding is. Uh, whether it's a five-acre holding or a ten-acre holding or a twenty-two-acre holding, we can we can mark it on a current satellite map. So it it, it the re- since we started, the reports have got a lot more detailed. I mean, originally uh, we were only looking at some one source, and that was the parochial register. Mm-hmm. So the reports themselves were maybe five pages. Now there there can be fifty-five to sixty pages long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's very it's 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 very personalised. Uh, but I'd say the first place to start would be to send us an email, tell us what you know, and we will take it from there. And the website is clearroots.com. Yeah. And Antoinette O'Brien. O'Brien. Antoinette yeah. O'Brien. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm just overflowing. The amount of information is mind boggling that you've just shared in that period of time of what you have. And uh, say if people can find you on the web, then follow up and check out, make appointments or do whatever. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, if they're coming to Ireland, it's a good idea to make an appointment, but they don't actually have to come to Ireland. But I can, or I can say with certainty that if they get these reports, if they get a family history report, I'd say there's a 99% certainty that they will make the visit to Ireland. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Thank you.